I want to know everything there is to know about you. I am going to introduce me. You must have spotted her by now. She's always there. Don't I deserve love? Somebody has to like me best. Hello and welcome to the Don't Know Her podcast. I am Scott. And I'm Michael. And we are here again to celebrate a treasure of the screen, someone who we think deserves all the love in the world, and this week is absolutely no exception to that. And we have chosen this week's special, special lady because it's an another special, special lady, special, special day. Happy birthday, Michael! Well, thank you. And actually, on the day we're recording, it's a very special lady's birthday and it's my mother's birthday so oh. my birthday is coming up shortly enough but yes yeah, my actual mum's birthday today oh my, my actual mom's, birthday, my mum's actual birthday is what i mean to say so yeah um having a lovely day i hope um so yes i am here to talk about someone else that uh we have chosen to celebrate for a really successful 2022 um that is leslie manville and of course, we spoke about Leslie before. I mean, I'm sure we talk about Leslie often. I yeah, mean, I think sort of person that I all the time. <laughs> so, like with Diane Lane's episode, we would have spoke about her in relation to Let Him Go. We focused on Let Him Go and Leslie's performance in this Oscar special we did, where we were championing her really like being snubbed for best supporting actress because she definitely should have been in that race. And I'm sure, like, when we talked about Imelda Staunton or any sort of British person that's been anywhere near a Mike yeah. Lee film, <laughs> Leslie must have come up. Yes, so she has been mentioned on this podcast um, more than any of the actual people we've spoken about so far. So congrats <laughs> on getting, finally, at episode 44, your very own spot. Yes, welcome to the club, Leslie. We know we've teased you, but you're you're fully yeah. <laughs> uh, fledged member of the Don't Know Her clan now. Oh, she has been waiting. I bet she has been <laughs> sick at nights thinking that it might never happen. But, <laughs> well, we know you've been feeling this way, Leslie, and we're here to support because we love you. And Michael couldn't possibly imagine a birthday not celebrating you. So here we are. Exactly. And like, so Leslie's 2022, to just give a little uh, recap, um, she's had Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which is this charming film that has more grit to it than you might imagine and has been very successful in independent cinemas in America and internationally, um, which is fantastic for her. Her first big lead role in a, let's say, more commercially minded film as well as taking the mantle of Princess Margaret. Um, for a second, my mind went blank. I was like, is she still a princess? Because everything has changed. It's like fucking Game of Thrones here <laughs> in the UK. And I keep calling people different things. Um, but Princess Margaret's long dead, so she must just still be Princess Margaret. And yeah, so before her, of course, Vanessa Kirby was in the first two seasons, then Helena Bonham Carter in the next two. And now we have Leslie as Margaret. Um, yeah, and even I, who am not a royalist, clearly, and also don't really like the crown, I think it's a bit dull, I did watch the episode that's focused on her Margaret in this season, and lovely, like, I think she's really good, lovely's the wrong word, but <laughs> it's just nice to spend time with her being given, like, such a huge platform, because, you know, like, imagine the amount of people watching that, and nailing it, and really playing what we will talk about quite a lot, kind of, a lot of things that you come to expect of Leslie Manville, kind of 
a brittle strength to her, you know, a lonely character in many ways, glamorous, sexy, surprisingly so at moments. Um, and she also gets to act with uh, Imelda Staunton. So why the hell would she not join that show? And I hope she gets paid a crazy amount of money and it opens all these doors. So, like, she's having a fantastic year. Yeah, no, it's a very exciting time to talk about Leslie. She is the moment. I mean, she's been the moment for us for a long, long time. But truly, I think now so many people will be talking about her. So much people who probably, if they hadn't seen her perform before in anything, um, will be getting the chance now and then be awoken to go back and visit what is a treasure trove of some really, really special work. Yeah, and like we'll get into the details of uh, Leslie's career, focusing on her film career, but she hasn't made as many films as you would imagine um, of someone like Leslie Manville. It really seems to have focused on TV and mostly a lot of stage work, but it's, you know, in the last few years, it seems to really be blossoming, let's say, into a really varied and really exciting film career. And the films that she is choosing to do are usually exciting or they're Maleficent, which I assume are paying for her um, house and stuff. Yes. (laughs) Her her fabulous lifestyle. Yeah. Well, hey, why not? If there's any reason to do Maleficent, it's the mortgage. Um... Pay the mortgage, but we also, you know, again, she's with Amelda Staunton and Juno Temple being these fairies and... Sure, that must be fun. Anel Fanning seems like a... She must be a bit of a laugh, right? I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know, know if that's ever been the first thing that sprung to mind, but I'm sure she is. Um, I reckon all of the Fannings are la- a, a big laugh. Um... <laughs> yeah, and then you have, like, Michelle Pfeiffer in the sequel. Sure, you know, if, that, if you're pay- getting a mortgage paid and spending a day on set with Michelle Pfeiffer, sure, that's living the dream. <laughs> what more would you want? What more would you want? Um, oh, to be a sprite with um, in that environment. What a treat. Uh, but Maleficent certainly wasn't the, the first thing, the first time I noticed Leslie. Was it yours? I don't think so either. No, Leslie Mamphill would have been... I mean, we do this every episode and I never prepare it. Um, I think the first time I would have known who Leslie Manville was, was in anticipation of another year. And another year um, is one of the many collaborations she did with Mike Lee. Um, but probably the most celebrated for her personally, her, her personally, her personally and professionally, but her <laughs> in terms of the show, like the whole thing, this was like a Leslie Manville thing you go and watch that and you're going to be awed by her character and I certainly people were and yeah I would have been interested as I am still obviously in Oscars and people would have been like wow she's going to you know be nominated for best supporting actress or best lead actress she's going to do really well and that never really materialized like she does get a BAFTA nomination and gets loads of critics prizes but for whatever reason another year was like a, a hit in many ways but it didn't properly open the doors wide open like she might have expected and what people might have expected of her. But I remember watching Another Year and has many of the things you would expect of a Mike Lee film. So, you know, it's it's heavy. There's a lot of characters who are struggling in various ways. Um, 
and like we will focus more on it when we go through a career but it is centered really around this performance from Leslie Manville who through four seasons we see transform or kind of not transform just kind of keep go darker and darker and darker into depression um and it is and her disconnect with her kind of stable family unit that she is interacting with played by Rusheen and Jim Broadbent so amazing like amazing and I, I remember when I had come to uh, London and I worked at the National Theatre and as I was you know as I started grief the Mike Lee play with Leslie Manville was just closing and I was so delighted to be part of an institution that had put this on and I got to see it and you know you'd be backstage and there would be like Leslie Manville to my mind like one of the great greatest actors so for those reasons I just have this real nostalgic kind of uh, excitement for her um, and also because she just keeps surprising every time that I've seen her since um, and she'd be someone like when you hear like oh she's been cast in Paul Thomas Anderson oh she's cast in this western oh she's cast as Mrs Harris and Mrs Harris goes to Paris it's like whoa I cannot wait to see what she does with that role because I think it will be much more interesting than many of the other people that could have been cast in those roles and what was your first time? Ah, my first time was the same. It was another year. Uh, it was spoken about... I like that you said in anticipation of another year, because it was the same. It was that she was being um, written about so favourably everywhere. So when I went to the cinema, I was excited about the whole thing, but particularly excited to see what she was up to. And I was blown away, uh, completely blown away by her performance in... Uh, a film that we will talk about for sure. So even if she maybe wasn't familiar to me before then, as soon as I'd seen that, I would be uh, seeking her out wherever I could. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be impossible not to after watching that film. And there's various, you know, I think a lot of people have come to Leslie Manville in different ways over the last few years. You know, Phantom Thread, bringing an Oscar nomination for her, things like that, Mum on TV seems to have really have hit um, home with a lot of people. And, yeah. I mean, absolutely wonderful show that I am obsessed with. Like, I, I rewatched the first episode for preparation of this, and I thought, yeah, like, this touches upon a really <laughs> wonderful character, played with Kathy yeah. by Lizzie Manville, and it just gets to utilise, you know, that she is in many ways, you know, a normal woman, but she also is sexy and she also has desires, but she also wants to, like, keep everyone around her happy, including some really unpleasant people like her sister-in-law. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so there's all these things, and she's just so good in it. Um, it's really delightful. And thankfully, and I think this comes, and we'll, you know, this does come from her background in theatre and working with Mike Lee from such a uh, young age and being able to play all these different parts, a real belief that she can do anything and she should and she really seems to be pushing for these much more interesting roles which is where we get something like mum let's say on tv and like so many so many so much tv she's done recently can't even think of what was the bbc like murder mystery uh, show that she did that was this year sherwood exactly and another very you know, interesting choice, let's say, in a in a career of loads of interesting choices. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that she seems to have just kind of collected um, audiences as she's been going with all these sorts of different films that are aimed at different people and are telling different sorts of stories. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, is as I guess we're gonna focus on her films as we journey through the episode today. It is worth pointing out and, and underlining those two shows for her amazing work in them, and very, very different as she always does. What she's doing in Mum is very beautiful, touching, sweet. Um, and then Sherwood is is coming from a, I guess, a more not complex. That would be unfair on Mum, but a very different place. Um, family dynamics. So struggling with a sister character, but in a very different way than the struggles we see in Mum. And there are really electrifying performances, especially that of her and her sister, played by Claire Rushbrook. There's a scene in particular um, where, after a lot of um hurt and kind of unresolved things that they they can't seem to deal with they have this reconciliation moment with a wall between them and the performance from both of them is is unbelievably good and that is just what we've come to expect of Leslie is that she's operating on such a high level that she truly cannot be ignored when she's on screen in whatever that is. So worth flagging, mm. she does get to do really exciting stuff on TV and delivers in spades. So for mm. watchers of particularly British television, she's definitely at the top of the game there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I guess throwing in the crown there in a very different sort of way again. Um, yeah, she really does seem to be one of the most interesting actors um, that can cross over to both film and TV. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let Let me then jump into an overview on Leslie, and we'll touch upon some of these films. Um, she was born in Brighton in nineteen fifty six. Um, she was the daughter of a former ballet dancer. Um, her mother and her father was a taxi driver and a bookmaker, bookie. Um, she trained as a soprano singer, and it sounds like she was pretty amazing. Um, oh. so she was doing this from the age of eight. Um, and she was twice the under 18th champion of her county. So she was pursuing this, but it seems like from interviews or whatever, that she wasn't really that interested in singing. So she wanted to act and she gets, um, again, obviously must be naturally very gifted because she gets um, quite a few TV roles, including a show called King Cinder, which is a gritty series aimed at children where two teenagers fight off a criminal gang running an extortion racket. It was very successful, um, from what I can gather. Um, people would have enjoyed her. And at the age of 15, she gets a place at the Italia Conti Academy of Theatre Arts. And this opens a world of acting to her, um, leading her to a West End debut in a musical called I and Albert, directed by... John Schlesinger, who people might know best from Midnight Cowboy, and he's making his, uh, you know, West End debut, and I think musical theatre debut. Um, and then that is followed on by a job in Emmerdale, um, as we currently know it. It was called Emmerdale Farm at the time, and she was there for 80 episodes between 1974 until what? 1976. How did I not know yeah, that? And she's so many. <laughs> That is like so. She had a pretty, you know, big at least part a, in the show. A year potentially at that time on how many episodes were on, I reckon. 
Yeah, I think in, uh, from an interview with her, she was saying there was two episodes a week, maybe, or three some weeks. Oh, okay. And they so were on during the day. Like, so it was very different to now where I think Emmerdale's on like five times a week and it's in the yeah. evening and, you know, it's as big as, you know, Carnage Street or EastEnders or whatever the other British soaps um, are at the moment. And, um, but she didn't want to do that, even though she got, you know, she paid for her first flat with this money and all this sort of stuff. And um, she says, I was quite savvy. I just thought, I don't want to be doing this all my life. My dad couldn't work out why. I was earning more money than he'd ever earned in his life. And I was on telly twice a week. I thought, well, there are a few other things I want to do. And that kind of, like, that summarizes Leslie in, in most ways. But yeah, she basically had this hunger that, you know, Emmerdale Farm or whatever con- consistent job that she could get um, couldn't satisfy. So she goes into theatre, like she gets a very impressive career um, working at the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Royal Court Theatre, which would have been a very exciting place at the time. And she did plays that, for anyone that's done like a brief overview of British theatre, these plays are so significant. So she's in Rita, Sue and Bob 2 in 1981, the Andrea Dunbar play, Top Girls in 1982 by Carol Churchill, who is a goddess of theatre, um, she's also in the original production of um, Dangerous Liaisons, which I'm not going to try and do the French title that they use in, um, it, when it's on stage, by Christopher Hampton, that then is turned into the Glenn Close film. Um, like, usually successful plays, like, usually exciting people to work with. Like, these are all at the top of their game. And so, um, you know, it's not surprising that she has this love for theatre based on this. And she just, you know, continuously go back to it. Um, and she does say, like, stage acting is where you learn your craft, where you learn to sink or swim. Nobody can bail you out. You cannot be edited around. You cannot be made to look any better or any worse than you are. It's raw. Roar? Raw? I can't say that. Raw? <laughs> yeah. Raw sounds really, like, plummy. Roar? Raw. W A No, R-A-W. Raw. That's what it is. It's... Yeah, it's Roar. Roar. Um, so, yeah, it's Roar. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. You sound like you're making, like, Roar. <laughs> roar. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about those, oh, those letters together. It's nice, though. Um, roar. But, Roar. It's Roar. And um, so, yeah, she's fantastic. Like, she clearly is getting so much out of this experience. Um, at this time, she also uh, meets Mike Lee, and we'll go into that a bit more in detail when we cover um, their first film together. Um, but needless to say, like it was a very significant meeting, and it really opened the door in terms of what she thought she would be capable of doing. Um, so in 1985, film comes calling, and it is Dance with a Stranger, which is this uh, Mike Newell directed film, um, a screenplay by Sheila Delaney, De- Sheila Delaney, um, and it's starring Miranda Richardson as the last woman to ever be hung in the UK, um, and she's hung because she murders her lover, who's played by Rupert Everett, and he's basically being a bit of a dick. And it's a really interesting film for those who haven't seen it um, about class, about gender it's has a really great performances from Miranda Richardson and Rupert Everett and it's really fun to see Leslie Manville she is very 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 small in this but she basically has a really fun scene where she's bitching about 
um, Miranda Richardson in the toilet with another lady. Sounds like a cockatoo with a cleft palate. Oh, I've heard worse. Oh, she give me the sack. I'd like to have a sense of grievance. You were born with a sense of grievance. Mm. Um, but it is a theatre. Like, she doesn't make that many films at this point in her career. So she goes back. She's in The Cherry Orchard, directed by Sam Mendes in 1989, alongside Judy Dench. She Who? also is consistently on TV in shows like Ain't Misbehaving and Holding On. But, of course, there's something that does draw her back to films in the 90s, and it is Mike Lee. She is the, she is the actress with the most appearances in Mike Lee's filmography. Um, so yes, as I was saying before, they met in 1979 when she was starting out and he was starting out and he was looking for actors who could improvise and that is actually something that she had done during her studies in the Italia Conti Academy. So they explored themes and all the... I don't know if people know what Mike Lee's method is of improvisation, but they basically... Like, he works with the actors to really get to understand their characters by improvising different moments in their lives and the stories. And he keeps, like... He's, like, pulling out the story through these improvisation workshops. And then when it comes to filming, like, there is a script... And I, there are certain elements that might be kept um, a surprise for some actors and whatnot. But in general, there is a script and he, that is clear what the story will be by that point when they go to start filming. But these workshops, from, from what everyone says, just sound absolutely fantastic about discovering characters and building a whole sort of wealth of experience and knowledge of them. And it sounds like... Leslie loved it. Like she talks about, I met Mike and it was the most amazing light bulb moment. He told me I could act and he told me I could play people that weren't like me, which was a revelation. You play some big parts in some things and little parts in others, but it's never short of thrilling because he's always going to get you to do something you've never, never done before. Which is, which is terrific. Like, so she is, it makes her first like cinema, um, appearance in a Mike Lee film in High Hopes in 1988 and then she pops up in Secrets and Lies in a really really interesting part as a I got is she social welfare officer opposite Marion Jean-Baptiste and really interesting and then Topsy-Turvy which I always think of her little moment in Topsy-Turvy so she plays the wife of Jim Broadbent's um Gilbert, who's one half of Gilbert and Sullivan, and the film is really focused on Gilbert and Sullivan putting on a production. And Leslie really is is kind of relegated to just a, a kind of a wife role. But of course, as a Mike Lee film, it's expanded and it's much more interesting. And there's this wonderful sequence where Mike, uh, uh, Jim Broadbent comes back from a show and he was talking about the applause. Wouldn't it be wondrous if perfectly commonplace people gave each other a round of applause at the end of the day? Well done, Kitty. Well done. Well done, Kitty. Bravo. Encore. Thank you, Willie. She's just so much light coming out of this character and performance, and which I think she does very well very often, um, of having something tangibly sort of hopeful from the way that she's performing on screen. Um, so I absolutely uh, love her performance in Topsy Turvy. Then there's also Vera Drake and Mr. Turner. But the two big ones are All or Nothing and Another Year. So All or Nothing is released in 2002. 
and it's it's the first time in film that we get Leslie in a proper leading role like it is an ensemble like so she's not really the she's not the the over the title like Miss Harris goes to Paris but she is you know as prominent as any of the other characters in it um yes it's it's wonderful that this film gives her the opportunity to to have that real meaty leading role uh, which we had been missing until this point. But all or nothing, um, God, it can be quite hard often to describe Mike Lee films uh, as like a narrative, but it follows a family um, of which she is the mother and we have Timothy Spall as the dad. Um, James Corden is their son, and then now I must remember the daughter's name because I thought she was fabulous. Alison Garland, yeah, and Alison Garland as the daughter, and we see them at a point where they are certainly struggling with the day to day. Had enough? Had enough of what? Had enough of working for five minutes? So you switched it off? What can I switch off when I've had enough? I had enough of getting up every morning, going to work, doing the shopping, coming home, cooking the tea, cleaning the house, doing the ironing, making sure everyone's got clean clothes on their back. What can I switch off when I've had enough? And you can tell certainly Leslie Manville's character um, is at a point where she's feeling very cut off from her husband, certainly. She feels quite lonely. I think she feels very unsatisfied in, in her marriage and her life in general. She's a supermarket worker. Um, but we see her in her interactions with her friends. Ruth Sheen plays her her best pal in this. Um, Marion Bailey, sort of uh, her other best pal, but uh, struggling a lot with the bottle. Um, Marion Bailey is fantastic in this film. Uh, yeah, so Marion Bailey, we have to do a podcast on. Basically, was my main take. I mean, she's amazing, in this, and I love her, Mr. Turner. Anyway, go on. No, no, she it, like it is. She is amazing. But drunk performances are hard to get right and often it's quite cringe to watch people try it she plays it incredibly well and it's also very very heartbreaking to watch but anyway yes we will do Marion Bailey another time I'm sure um but yes yeah, so as many Mike Lee films are it is about kind of hardship of the working classes really and, and that's sort of what is mm. it the heart of this one um and therefore can feel a little bleak and I think as I'm describing it probably sounds quite impenetrable it's not um there is a lot to it which does kind of make it buoyant in between I think Ruth Sheen being the real key to that I think Ruth mm. Sheen's character in this is is luminous and someone you would want to have in your life especially um if if things feel a little more on the hopeless side as you certainly are getting for for Leslie Manville in this but as it kind of develops, things happen um, to her family, which puts her in um, an even more desperate situation, but ultimately something that can bring them back together, almost a sort of reset for the family. So I think there is a lot mm. of hope in there too, um, but definitely mm. one of the more blanket bleak offerings that um, Mike Lee has done. Would you say that's fair? Are you like, no, 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 there's far more bleak than this. I'm sure there are actually. Well, I think the thing about Mike Lee, like, there, there are very bleak and really dark. Like, Peter Lou is something I will never 
recover from. And I think that's the point of watching a massacre for 20 minutes or something that's filmed in a very Mikely sort of style, seeing like a child trampled on by a horse, for instance. Um, so I think compared to that, all about all or nothing is is less... Um, sure. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> it's not that bad. Or less like a hard to watch. But having, having said all that, I think the thing about Mikely, and this comes at a really interesting point in his career, I think there's a real delicate balance usually where it's not like misery porn it is an insightful empathetic examination of characters in a certain sort of environment if you think about vera drake or um, another year as we'll get into i think all or nothing falls into misery porn because all we're getting really is a lot of you know, looking down on people. I don't think we empathize as much as we do in most of his other work. So I found it actually um, unpleasant to watch, but mainly because I was like, what's the, what is the point here? Because in other films, it really makes sense. I think watching, say, James Corden treat his family with such disrespect and treat his body with such disrespect and treat, you know, all this is not very like, what is the point of that? And there's, this, there's you know, Timothy Spall is a very passive sort of character in it. And he keeps like promising of like he might do things like he's going to wake up early. And then when you have Leslie come back, it's like, I'm sick of this. Like it's t- she's tired in her response saying like, what difference would that make? You could have done that all your time. I get up early. We get up early. We do all this work. You do nothing. And I'm just like, why? Like, what is the story? And if it's not just to be like, look down on people and maybe be like, God, woo, woo, like there's some pretty sad things happening in, you know, Britain today. I don't know what the point is. So yeah, I would say it's I would say it's bleak and I would say it's one of his least accomplished films and that's of somebody who's made incredible work. Um yeah, yeah. I'd never recommend this film to anybody. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, I would recommend this film to to people, but I completely hear what you're saying. I think it is far less accomplished in many ways, but because some of his other films are so excellent, um I think it it would be hard to be hitting that in every yeah. case. I think it's as part of his filmography, it stands out as a lesser entry. Had this been made by example by a, a debut filmmaker or a young filmmaker, mm. I think you know potentially it would be looked at very very differently. I think it it does certainly verge into miserable for not much more than the sake of miserable at times. Yes, but. I think what I recognise in a lot of this film, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm from a background that is like these characters, I'm not, but there is real joy in the familiar. I mentioned Ruth Jean, we mentioned Marion Bailey, but there's, there is an, a way that the characters this interact, and even in more, you know, gloomy moments or lonely moments, there's something so unbelievably real and recognisable, I think that's the important thing, familiar about these characters, that it does inject it for me with real insight and light and understanding of what real people look like on screen. Something that many, many filmmakers struggle with, something that Mike Lee never does seem to struggle with. Um, But here, I really do believe these characters. And maybe that's where we get into the discussion of uh, to what extent should cinema be escapist? Maybe I also just have a a particular appetite for miserablest um, kitchen sink British fare. I certainly am drawn to a lot of films like this, and I think that is a personal tasting. Um, But there are flashes of, of real brilliance in this. 
Alison Garland as the sister. I, I'm not familiar with her as an actress, I don't think. But, oh my goodness, she broke my heart in a way that I haven't had in a while. She just completely gets this character and fills her with love. This person was very familiar to me. I wouldn't want to say who they remind me of, but that her character was very familiar to me. Um, and in a, in a very heartwarming way as well. Not just for the sake of sadness, but it's um, it's a really interesting performance in amongst a lot of really great performances so i would recommend it but with the um caveat that if you are not into miserablest british fare then it probably is not going to be for you yeah and i mean i'd say that for all of my Lee's films apart from say maybe secrets and lies and topsy-turvy perhaps because i i think well Vera Drake, Another Year, P. Lou, even Mr. Turner. Like, I think there's, um, there's the tone of his films, but yeah. And yeah, always his performances will be terrific. So it has a lot of all the things. If you enjoy Mike Lee and you're dead, you know, diehard fan, you've probably already seen it, but if you haven't, check this out. Otherwise, yeah. Um, start with something else, maybe easier. I would say it. definitely um, start with something else if, you, if you're new to Mike um, Lee, 100%. Yeah. And then, so Another Year is... You know, the the film which really um, elevates um, Leslie Manville in um, filmmaking circles. And that comes out in 2010. So much excitement really around, well, this film, but also around her um, performance. It goes to Cannes, celebrated there, really well received. Um, and it stars, really, the, the real leads, I guess, is Jim Broadbent and Rusheen. They play Tom and Jerry, who are this, you know, middle-class couple who have a friend, which is the other lead, um, Leslie Manville, and, uh, who's Mary. And they, the film follows seasons, so we see them in spring, summer, autumn and winter. And it follows, you know, they're different sorts of styles of, well, it's really just an aesthetic choice of, of how it looks for each of those seasons, but it's also the character's behaviour. So we see Meet Mary, and she works with Rasheen in a, um, well, I want to say a, a hospital, but it's specifically Rasheen is a therapist. Um, that's what, I don't actually know if that's the correct word that you do for what she's doing, but she's, she starts off and she's talking to Imelda Staunton, or her colleague's talking to Imelda Staunton. Yeah, I would say she is like a counsellor, yeah. A counsellor, that's probably the better, the more appropriate word there. Counsellor, but um, anyway, they work together, they go for a drink, L you know, we see Leslie, um, who, as we're talking about people playing drunks well, this is a pretty good... Um, representation too because she as you like to say which i've i've not heard in years she likes the bottle um <laughs> the euphemism i've never i've so rarely here nowadays but she likes the bottle she also likes men she likes be like she likes attention she likes to feel special she's a very vulnerable woman we know this from the off when the way she's like twirling her hair and trying to get the attention of this younger man um or get the attention of this man who then turns his attention to a younger woman that he's with. And there's a real sense of loneliness and isolation because, you know, Rusheen has her partner and her life because they also have a son. And Leslie has nothing in, in kind of in terms of, of what she wants out of life or what is, she's considering um, important. It is a, 
wonderful performance, really layered, like compared to All or Nothing, say the film as a whole, even though we're watching very heavy things and characters going through some really upsetting um, moments, it never really feels like we are being, you know, we're, we're just spectators and someone else like having a sad life. It, we're watching it and we're getting something out of it and we're part of that journey with that character. And I think that's an incredibly exciting thing that Mike Lee mostly does very well and is key to um, why I think Leslie Manfield connected with audiences so much in this film. No, but I'm really comfortable with where I am in my life. As you know, I've got my lovely little garden flat, I've got a good job, I've got my health, touch wood, I've got my independence, I haven't got anybody telling me what to do. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not all rosy. I have good days and bad days Mm -hmm. like everyone else, Mm -hmm. don't I? And through the story, she gets more and more isolated, um, really, and her depression really takes hold is how I would read what was going on. And that, like, the final winter sequence is so hard to watch in a but also like I don't know you're just like oh this is hard but will she be okay I, I don't know there's something it's not even that it's hopeful I just think it's engaging and thoughtful and interesting in a way say all or nothing didn't achieve but what is achieved in another year is just so fascinating to me um so yeah I really love another year I think she's terrific in it it obviously should have been Oscar nominated um, and the film as a whole should have been more celebrated than it was, perhaps. But I do also appreciate it's probably trickier than, say, Vera Drake in that it didn't, you know, it's just like a film following these kind of middle class people for their, you know, a year in their life. Like what? It's just an, like the title says, it's just another year. Like it really could just say just another year. Yeah, it's everything you describe. I think her performance is an all-time great performance. I really, really do. And I think it sort of links into what I was saying about All or Nothing. I think Mike Lee's certainly very generous in the characters that he brings into his films. Um, And I really don't mean that to sound condescending, patronising. I hope it's not at all um, to characters like this. But it's so often that these people, very sadly, if you encounter them in real life you would have to be a very kind, kind-hearted person, like, exceptionally so, like Ruth Sheen's character in this film, and like All or Nothing, I should say, too, um, to have the time that they deserve if you were to sit down and get to know them and understand everything that Michael's described as going on in their life and, and know where they're coming from. I'm sure it would be an incredibly rewarding thing to do, but we probably far too often would roll our eyes or pay no heed to people who who kind of have this outward way of being that is perhaps concealing other things. And I think she's just nailing every nuance and beat of this character. It is, it's an absolute masterclass, and there's no wonder it was the reason that you and I both became um, big fans of Leslie Manville. But yeah, I think the film as a whole is great. I really... I'm a, I'm a, certainly a champion of Mike Lee films, even though there's still blind spots that I will look forward to um, filling as well um, as soon as I can. But this, for me... Oh, I mean, there's so many great performances, so it would probably be a dangerous road to go down to start saying who's, like, top tier. But this is certainly a top tier Mike Lee performance um, amongst other greats. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is... That's... You know, when people ask, you know, what is your favourite film of all time or any of these, like, I feel like this 
fits into that because there's just so many and the the ones that like come to my mind are just you know Melda Staunton um in Vera Drake Marion Jean-Baptiste and Brenda Blessing in Secrets and Lies um there's just so many wonderful performances I know this isn't a film strictly but um um Alison Steadman in Abigail's Party as Beverly Do you know there's it's just a real treat She's just a real treat. And I think that's even in if Mike Lee wants to do box standard sort of movies, which, of course, he has never really been in the business of doing. You'd still be like, well, the, the film or the performances will be amazing. But um, yeah, to summarize, we love we love Mike Lee um, and we love Leslie in Mike Lee films. And so do other people like for um, another year. She does receive the National Board of Review Award for Best Actress. Um, she gets the BAFTA nomination for Best Supporting Actress and so many other critics, critics' prizes. Um, but it is, again, like theatre where she focuses most of her time in the early noughties. She's in His Dark Materials at the National Theatre, playing Mrs. Coultiar, is that what you call it? The Nicole Kidman part in the movie. Um, she's in All About My Mother at the Old Vic, a stage adaptation of that. Um, Six Degrees of Separation with um, Anthony Head. Yes, the old Vic as well. And then in with Ghosts in 2014, um, is really celebrated for that production, winning the Olivia, Olivier Award for Best Actress. And then it's after this, or at this sort of time, like in 2015 or so, she starts becoming a more regular face in film. So we have her in Maleficent um, as one of the fairies alongside Imelda Staunton and Juno Temple. Um, so you see them often in this sort of digitized version of themselves, like tiny little like squashed faces. And then sometimes you see them as their human forms and they look after <laughs> um, Elle Fanning or um, Aurora, Aurora. Oh, my God. I, I Now I'm calling it the drag queen's name, Aurora, um, and trying to protect her from Maleficent, um, played by Angelina Jolie. Um, she also is in Molly Moon and the Incredible Book of Hypnotism in 2015 and Hampstead in 2017 with Diane Keating and Brendan Gleeson where she is playing kind of a prototype villain but it's you know it this story Hampstead is really about Diane Keating and Brendan Gleeson connecting during all of this TV is also becoming more prolific and also she's getting you know these interesting parts in them so we have her in River we have her in Mom as we were talking about and we also have her in Harlots with Samantha Morton and a terrific cast of people. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a it's a fun it's a fun show and really interesting to see her play this sort of villainous person in the past. And then of course we have Phantom Thread. So Phantom Thread really is a film that has opened loads of doors for her. I'm assuming, like myself, this is a film you would have seen when it came out. Yes. Absolutely. Phantom Thread is uh, one of the most delectable films I've ever had the treat of seeing at the cinema. It is incredible. Mm. So it's directed and written by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Daniel Day-Lewis as um, a fashion designer who is the house of Woodstock, right? Or Wood No, no, Woodcock. Woodcock, I can't remember. We just did a podcast thing on Emma, who's called Woodhouse. And I was gonna, anyway, Woodcock, um, and his sister is Leslie. 
And at the start, it is, um, it's, you know, we meet them all in the house and there's this woman um, that clearly Daniel Day-Lewis is having a dalliance with and he is bored with now. He wants her to leave. And it is Leslie Manville's character who is running this household. It is the way that she's positioned. She's like watching everything. She is, you know, she's like making notes mentally, but also um, physically she is in control and she's the one that gets rid of this woman she's the one that is making sure things are happening so like daniel Day lewis is tired after a successful day of selling dresses and he goes maybe you should go to the countryside now now the way that that is worded is like you go to the, like you have to go here like this will be better for you trust me but she's wording it to make him feel like he's in control and then, of course, he goes, he meets Vicky Creeps, who then becomes part of the household, too. And she brings this energy, which really confronts mostly Daniel Day-Lewis, um, but also, toward, as the story goes, Leslie Manville, too. And um, it's really fascinating to watch. And, I mean, even the style, the way they speak to each other, Daniel Day-Lewis and Leslie Manville, it's this heightened sort of world, and it's wonderfully dynamic, their um, interactions. No, don't turn it on me. I don't want your cloud on my oh, head. Shut up, Zoe. You can shut right up. Don't pick a fight with me. You certainly won't come out alive. I'll go right through you and it'll be you who ends up on the floor. Understood? I think as, as like, a, a comeback goes, uh, that might be one of the best in cinema history ever. Um, yes. I don't want to hear you. I You're hurting my ears. You're making me... <laughs> like, there's so many... There's so many amazing lines. So she's just hypnotic to watch in the film that's full of amazing moments but it's for me when i first saw it and even when we watching it here i'm like you're the key to why this film works because you're you're an old trope of like a sister or a spinster woman that's older that's controlling everything but she also doesn't give she doesn't give a fuck i think she just wants to enjoy her life and like have none of this drama around her but also does care for vicky creeps his character as well like she's just so good it's just so good i love it yeah, it is wonderful, and absolute respect to Paul Thomas Anderson for writing such wonderful lines, because I, I agree, some of these cut-downs go down as the best in history. And I can only imagine he was drawing inspiration, or had a real uh, hankering for being able to write something that would have been heard and seen in, like, 1940s, 50s cinema with like Betty Davis seeing it. That's what I can imagine. Some of these lines feel sculpted as if they would have slotted into All About Eve or something like that. It is so good. Um, the dynamic that her character has with Vicky Creep's character in particular, I find fascinating as well. Um, because she's become used to controlling the relationships and being the one to put a stop to things. And at one point she does suggest, it's time now, shall we get rid of her? But Vicky Creep's character is going to be staying on the scene and Alma does grow to really respect her. And then it flips the whole dynamic on its head and that's where she ends up um, kind of tearing down um, and, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's uh, character. But there's moments when she is first... Um, kind of circling Alma as she enters the scene and she smells her um, and and kind of then details what her perfume is, what her scent is specifically and, and Alma's very, very impressed and then she smells her again and describes what she's just eaten and it's so imposing, it's threatening, it's almost primitive. I just think 
everything that's been allowed for Leslie Manville to do with this character is amazing and it, it just brings so much to an already terrific film. I mean, Phantom Thread for me is an all-time great because it is holding up toxic masculinity and I guess wrestling with it. I'm sure Paul Thomas Anderson has his own kind of battles with how he created this character and what he's trying to present. And at moments you, you wonder if he is a kind of admiring of um, Reynolds Woodcock. And I think he probably is. But he also details him with such repugnant qualities that you know... He is also trying to um, elevate the women and their stance on, on this man and how he fits into their life and kind of this power play and this movement of control between the characters. I I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's swoon-worthy. It looks amazing. It sounds amazing. Everything about this film, for me, is absolutely brilliant. I cannot recommend this film enough. I think it gets richer on each rewatch. There's something new to discover and everyone is at the top of their game. Yeah, and I think what you're saying about toxic masculinity, like the, the women behave in toxic ways too. Like everyone is pretty toxic in this and I don't think you know, that it makes it unpleasant to watch. I mean, some people might find it unpleasant. It's almost a fairy tale the film. So for me it's more detached from reality because if I ever heard you know, a friend of mine was in that sort of relationship, I'd be like, get the hell out. Whether you were Vicky Creeps or Daniel Day-Lewis, or you're even the sister living in the same house, I'd be like, get the hell out of there. <laughs> um, but it's a fairy tale, and yeah, Johnny Greenwood yes. score, and music and all, just like, everything about it makes it that way. So yeah, it is wonderful. Um, and just to go back to what you are saying about Paul Thomas Anderson and Leslie Manville, in... in in an interview about Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas Anderson talks about Leslie Manville and what she brought. And he, there's a moment very early on in the film where Leslie is basically looking down the barrel of the lens. And that is not something that he had given her. He had described what he wanted to the character. And in that moment, and Leslie presented that. And when he saw that, he was like, whoa, A, that's unlocked something about oh. the film. Um, but also, like, now I'm going to, like, understand Leslie can, can kind of run with this in a really exciting way so it's clear um you know maybe that's the theater background and mike lee and all this sort of stuff but she's she understood what she was doing and elevated that film um terrific and absolutely deserving of her oscar nomination um and when she talks about it, like she talks about this wonderful experience and she talks about the oscar nomination be like the cherry on the cake because she was offered a lot she talks about so one of the first things she goes on to do is um, Ordinary Love. So, you know, a leading role with shared with Liam Neeson about a couple who've been together for a very long time um, and, you know, very sort of ordinary, to take the title, like ordinary couple just going through their life and um, she discovers she has cancer. And it's about them in a very non-dramatic way connecting and supporting each other and getting through this process um, and when I say getting through it I just mean day by day not in a large-scale sort of beating cancer and this is what you could do it's not calendar girls or it's not any of these sorts of maybe British drama comedies you might expect or any anything like that this is a proper just mature drama following a couple and it is it's really terrific and I think both Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville are terrific and again 
she should e- could easily have been nominated for awards for that role. Um, so yeah, she's she's great. And then there's also Misbehavior, where she plays Bob's uh, hope wife alongside Greg Kinnear in awful makeup. And um, really, an interesting film. Maybe not the most successful in terms of like. You know, it's about uh, 1960s um, Miss World um, competition where we have a group of um, protesters led by Keira Knightley and Jesse Buckley trying to take down this um, competition where Bob Hope is kind of representing all the kind of toxic stuff. But then you also have loads of interesting conversations about race and colonialism and feminism. And, but it's just, for whatever reason, it just falls a bit flat. Um, but it's a, it's a grand movie. Like, I wouldn't be saying it's bad. Yeah, um, no, I think there's a lot to like in there, but yeah, I agree. And she's really good. I think Leslie Manfield's really deceptively good because she's kind of there, present, and doesn't have to have any opinion or anything, but she clearly does, and she does have an interesting uh, role to play. Um, then we get into a film we've talked about lots in this podcast, but Let Him Go, which is um, directed by Thomas Bazooka. Um, it is a Western where Diane Lane and Kevin Costner, have um, their son has died and their daughter-in-law and their grandchild have been taken away by Leslie Manville and her group of sons. And it's clear that Leslie Manville is scary and is in charge of a lot of... Um, I don't know, like, sinister bad sort of plan. I mean, it's, it's never quite clear. Like, she's just a bad, bad woman. Um, and it is delicious. I cannot... I mean, I didn't obviously watch the film, rewatch it for this, but she is so vividly in my head. The way she is controlling her, her boys, as she calls them, the way she, you know... The dynamic between her and Diane Lane and Kevin Costner, but she is in control. It is amazing to watch her have so much power in these scenes, doing this American accent with this amazing blonde wig. If we're talking about like Betty Davis sorts of roles, this is Betty Davis would have killed for this role. Oh, breathe easy. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows I can't be insulted. Eat my chops or don't. <laughs> well, we'd certainly hoped to meet Donnie's family someday. Oh, had you? Well. I'm glad to learn that. Yeah, I thought we should meet too. Have ourselves a chat. It is wild to me that this film didn't get her any awards attention because she's terrific in it. I mean, the film as a whole I love, but Leslie Manville's really, really great. Which brings us to this year and her most recent film, where she is, for the first time ever, Above the title, it's her name, it's her role, it's her show, it's Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which, do you want to describe, like, how excited have we been for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris? Oh, very excited. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen you in particular as excited for a film for such a prolonged period of time. Uh, the amount of times, it's almost like a countdown, how many months to Mrs. Harris? Um so when it finally came out, yes, absolutely, what a delight. So Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris follows um, Mrs. Harris, played by Leslie Manville, uh, as we we see her cleaning houses, which is her job. Um, and then we learn very early on that she's been holding out hope that her husband, who has been 
um, I guess Awol at war hasn't returned, and then when she kind of gets yeah. the conclusive news, <laughs> that's really important. The war bit. If, I thought you were just going to say she, the husband's gone Awol. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, that's very no. that's missing a Mike Lee an film. action. <laughs> missing an action, I guess, is the, the better way of putting it. And holding out hope, and then when she gets the news that he sadly will not be returning to her, um, very very sad. But it does open up this sort of change of spirit in her uh, where she realises she wants to go out and get things for herself. And very interestingly, this stems from um, the discovery of a Christian Dior dress in the wardrobe of one of her clients. And she then very much covets this dress. She wants it um, very, very much or a Dior of her own and makes it her mission to save 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 and get herself to paris get herself to the house of dior and get herself a dress and that's kind of the basic premise but then we spend a lot of time with her in paris and the encounter she has um with the likes of isabelle huper who is the what would you call her she her job she's like the managing director almost of of dior yeah yeah, and mm-hmm. um, very, very She's naughty. The bad bitch the in idea. <laughs> yeah, and she she doesn't want Mrs. Harris being someone who gets her hands on a Dior dress. What does that mean for the image of Dior? And that's very much the trajectory that the rest of the film takes. Is is um, I guess the shift from haute couture fashion towards um, high street fashion, essentially. That's sort of um, the mm. idea at the heart of it and, and where that shift might have come from. And, and by Mrs. Harris goes to Paris standards, it's Mrs. Harris who made that change. She's the one who shifted uh, high fashion and moved them towards a more accessible option. I mean, Dior is still hardly uh, accessible. Um, but also the encounter she has with other workers in the uh, House of Dior... And it's just very, very touching and sweet. Um, it's a really lovely film. I, I can't imagine people wouldn't just think it's the the loveliest thing. Even if those ideas, when you say them out loud, they sound very hokey, but it, it just works. It just works very, very well. And um, Leslie, as Mrs. Harris, is a real delight. She brings such soul... Uh, to this woman, you love her from beginning to end. Um, it's a lovely thing. But you know a little bit more about the the history of Mrs. Harris than than I do, and you've you've perhaps encountered it more. I didn't know about Mrs. Harris goes to Paris at all until this film was on the horizon, basically. Mm. Well, yeah, I'd seen in. I remember my grandparents' house. Um, you know, there'd be TV on during the day or whatever during the summer. It must have been. And the Angela Lansbury TV movie version was on um, the screen. And I remember that very well, yeah. I remembered the last shot so, like, vividly of that. Um, and then have read the book by Paul uh, Gallico. I hope that's correct. If not, they're dead. So I don't think they'll come at me. Um, but um, but I like it a lot. And what I... I mean, it's... the What I'll say about the TV adaptation and the book is that they needed updating to be relevant to today. And the this version is very faithful in many ways, but it makes such clever decisions. And I think that starts with the casting of Leslie Manville because Leslie is well able to have this sort of... 
joy kind of coming out of her and radiating out of her and be almost like a Paddington-esque sort of character or even like Amy Adams in Enchanted. There's like something about her where she meets people and by her presence makes them feel better. You know, she has this reassuring presence. But what Leslie also does really well is this very sort of base level strength. Like, so she might seem vulnerable on the on the surface, but you will not also mess with her. Like, she's very well able to look after herself, which is like at the start, even though she's waiting for her husband, she is in, there's no doubt that she's a, she's looking after herself. She's been looking after herself for a long, long time. And herself and her friend played in a really lovely performance um, by Ellen Thompson. Um, they just have this really lovely dynamic. They go for a drink, they meet on the bus, um, they save each other seats, all this sort of thing. Yeah, I just think it's so good. So then from that point on, like the, the script has just been adapted so, so well. So for instance, a moment which really to me elevates the whole film is that there's a character played by Anna Chancellor who refuses to pay really Leslie Manville. She's always like, no, I need to, I don't have the money. I'll get the money sometime. And there's a point in the film where Leslie says to her, Will you please accept my notice, Lady Dan? I will require a full and final settlement of your account by the end of the week. You can't leave me. Then days are over when you can treat people like scum and expect loyalty in return. I'm just like, whoa, like, A, this in another movie, uh, another adaptation, like, it wouldn't have sat very well in the Angela Lansbury film. Whereas what the real achievement here is that they've made this fantasy film that also has grit to it and has a real heart that isn't just soft like it's a, it's a, it's like you know and I don't it's not like the stiff upper lip shit either I think it's more open than that in terms of t interpretation it's not that she is um, a victim ever she's just standing up for herself and there's I just I don't know I just think it's really fascinating to watch a character be both fairy tale-esque but also live in a semi-real world and go through ups and downs while also making other people's lives joyful. Yeah, I just think it's wonderful. And I think there's so many wonderful moments in it. Um, you know, when they, you know, she's chosen a, a dress and she doesn't get the, the first dress she wanted, but she gets a second dress. And she goes in for a fitting. Don't get all this hoo-ha when you buy a frock down Woolworths. Well, I can tell you such things do not happen every day here either. <laughs> ah. The lady who must have a dress, vite, vite, vite. Votre manteau, s'il vous plaît. Your coat, please. Oh. Et le cardigan. Yeah, my cardi. Thank you very much. And you can tell from all the staff there that they're loving it all too. And you just know that the film is going to be lovely and charming and you will feel a bit better about the world and you might interact with people a bit better after watching it too. I don't know, it's a film about kindness essentially, I think, and respect. Yes. And I just love that, um, absolutely love it. And yet Leslie is the perfect person to do this role. Like I'm sure, you know, when they were talking about casting, you could have done, all sorts of people could have been on that list. Yeah. But I think she is the only person I would have wanted to have seen in it. Um, and just a shout out, because I think the music is, is by a, a person called Rail Jones, and it is so lovely, like it's so perfectly done. And I think I'm, we're so used to say, 
Alexander Desplat would have been the person I think they were, sure. you know, in a dream world. But it's like, I work with other people. Like, we have to stop getting the same composers and all these. Like, it drives me nuts, you know. So I'm just highlighting that because I hope that we get to see more of their work in other films, Real Jones. But yeah, it's a wonderful film. Absolutely love it. Also, Lucas Bravo is a gorgeous man. Um, you also have Alba Baptista in, like, being gorgeous. And they have this romance that... Um, Mrs. Harris is championing. I, I just love it. I just absolutely love it. Um, so yeah, I've already seen it twice and I can't wait to watch it again, hopefully over Christmas. Yeah, it's a perfect, I was going to say, this is a perfect Christmas film. This would be a great film for families to sit down and watch because it has both that very family-friendly value, but it has that magical sparkle, that fairy tale-esque element to it. So I think it really would uh, suit that viewing perfectly do you think we'll see any awards potential for leslie in this do we think there is potential uh, yeah well i imagine i mean the golden globes would have her as the best supporting act or best actress in a comedy musical but other than that no i can't imagine even bafta would go for it in a year where we have so many terrific you know actress to consider for best actress um i don't think so um like i just it just seems wild um that she could make the top five and even yeah. with bafta um you know sometimes celebrating british people over others i just don't think that that will make the cut perhaps the film i think could be for best british film but i don't think um outside of that it probably has much of a chance interesting i think it will be nominated at BAFTA, uh, she will be. And I think that if it had been someone else in the lead role, potentially, like, imagine it was, like, a Meryl Streep in a film like this. I'm so glad it wasn't, but... Oh, I mean, we've seen her get nominated for lesser films, for sure. Um, yeah. So, you But know, don't forget, that... BAFTA have the jury voting, so I, that's why I don't think she'll be nominated for the BAFTA. Oh, of course, that is that such will... a good point. Because you'd have to, so basically for those who do not know, I think you have to be in the top two or one, maybe it's turned into now, and then otherwise a jury vote for the remainder nominees. And, you know, rightly so. I don't know if, you know, I even if I was on a, a jury and there was a lot of performances, I would be championing Leslie for this particular category. Also knowing Leslie will be back again. Do you know, like, there, sure. there's no doubt in my mind that she'll have other opportunities Um but I think it's wonderful, I guess, when we reflect on her career that she is playing, you know, she's playing awful people in loads of her films. But now she's, you know, also playing, you know, Princess Margaret in The Crown. And then she's also Mrs. Harris. And I just think she's opening so many doors um, with the choices she's making. So I think she's a really, really exciting person to keep an eye on. Um, and it's wild. She's only has one film listed coming up called The Critic. And otherwise, I'm like, what's wrong with everybody? <laughs> you know, Paul Thomas Anderson did, did just announce a new film that he's filming next year. So perhaps Leslie will be in that. I don't know. But I do have high hopes. And that's why I wouldn't worry too much about awards. And I think, you know, a film like Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, I'm all for championing it. But I'm not sure awards is the way because the way awards culture, particularly for film, is people seem to hate what is celebrated, particularly if they are kind hearted sort of you know, aiming at, you know, great entertainment, high quality film, but they're not, 
you know, power the dog or something that people like we should or tar. Do you know, like I, I hate the idea that so, like Kate Blanchett isn't nominated and and Leslie is and people just start hating on Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, <laughs> which seems like the opposite effect of what a film like that is trying to say. So how have you felt d- digging into Leslie's career and looking at her films in a isolate or like in such an intense sort of viewing? Um, I very, very much enjoyed it. It has, like you said at the beginning, made me realise that I thought there was much more uh, in the film uh, filmography than there was. Uh, obviously, there is a lot of TV stuff as well, and she's doing very, very well either way. I perhaps was just expecting more. Um, but she is just wonderful, and her work in many ways is... Uh, is the top tier of of um screen acting and i'm sure she is the same if you're lucky enough to see her on stage um what's your what do you think her best performance is Ooh, i or your favorite well well my favorite film by by a lot i'd say is mrs harris goes to paris but i think her best role, the one that's jumping out at me um, is Ordinary Love, um, because I think all the the other roles are like focused on like extremes in a way. And Ordinary Love allows her to be a very ordinary sort of person and play all these different shades. And I yeah, I, I so that might be the one like, I mean, she's terrific in so many things, but that's what makes it wonderful too. Like I, I, you know, so many are jumping out at me, so I couldn't really, I wouldn't have one, but, um, I find her so exciting on screen all of the time. And I guess ordinary love is interesting because it's, it's not showy, but it's still like an, like an expertly performed character. So that excites me even more that she can just do anything. A stylized Mike Lee, you know, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, let him go where she's being this American, like cowboy boss. And then Ordinary Love, where she's just playing the most ordinary of people living in Northern Ireland, do you know? What about you? Um, uh, I think another year for me is undeniable. But I think Ordinary Love's a really great answer um, and a film that should be championed more. But maybe I do like, the, the I guess, the, the, the slightly more extreme. And she's doing a lot in another year, that's for sure. Um, but perfectly. So... Uh, that probably would be my vote, but it's hard. Yeah, it's a hard. That's a hard choice. Um, amazing, but as it's my birthday, my answer is more important. <laughs> exactly, your answer is the most important. And so my birthday wishes everybody is... to watch. Yeah, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Honestly, spend your Christmas and have a little joy, because I want to be Mrs. Harris in life, in real life. <laughs> and you can. Anyway, speaking of birthdays, I believe you are going to test me because that's what we do on a birthday, apparently, is test each other. (laughs) Yeah, what says birthday more than a little quiz? So, yes, you are going to be quizzed this week. Um, What would your prize of choice be? Perhaps it is, as you've just suggested, your birthday wish. Yeah, I think before we started, you said I had a birthday present, but but now I now I because every only people can hear my recording, it just sounds like I'm asking for a present. And but my birthday wish is that everyone be kinder to each other and be a little bit more like Mrs. Harris. Yeah, you have got a birthday present. It's just not here yet, and you will get oh, to enjoy it and share it 
on your actual birthday, which, as we discussed at the beginning, is quite close. Okay, sorry. Apologies for bringing up that awkward thing. Okay, great. I just want people to be kind then. That's all I want for my birthday. But you, you'll get your present either way, so there's that. Amazing. Or maybe you won't. Maybe I'll burn it when it arrives. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so since it's your uh, special day, this game is in the style of Bruce Forsyth, higher or lower. Um, are these actresses younger or older than you? Number one, Glenn Close. Clearly, Glenn is older than me. That is incorrect. Glenn is significantly younger than you. And that is the end of that round. You didn't perform as well as we'd hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the the real quiz this week is an, an one of the older ones that I used to do that I haven't actually in a while. So Older, stop to mentioning it, name. Stop saying about being oh, older, you. <laughs> God, uh, sorry. It's just on my mind all the time. This one... <laughs> is on Oscar nominees or winners that Leslie will have worked with. So Leslie herself is an Oscar nominee, rightly so. Yay. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'll tell you the name of a film and how many Oscar nominees she's worked alongside. I just need their names. And if you're feeling really confident, you could even say what they're nominated for. I'll I'll, I'll let you kind of dive in and give that a go too. Yeah, wonderful. That's exciting. Right. The first one, this is just one Oscar nominee, and it is Ordinary Love. Liam Neeson for Schindler's List. Should have been nominated for Michael Collins as well. Is that, is that for real or a joke? No, I'm saying I, I, he's terrific in Michael Collins. Oh, okay. I just thought it might have been some kind of Irish inside joke there. I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no. Great. Yeah. Then... The niche listeners who are Irish and no film, uh, this is a joke about Michael Collins. <laughs> Michael Collins is not someone Irish people joke about, Scott, so be careful. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> we will move swiftly on to the next one, which is Let Him Go. So we have Diane Lane. For the sexy thriller, um, Unfaithful. I actually nearly forgot the name. I was like, what was it called? Um, Unfaithful, with Olivier Martinez as her lover. And, well, Kevin Costner, he wasn't nominated for, uh, it's acting nominees we're talking. uh, It is acting nominees, yeah. So, was he nominated for Dances with Wolves? I don't think he was. Maybe he was. Everyone loved that movie at the time. He was. Okay, for terrific, yeah. But is that the only Oscar nomination Kevin has? That's the only acting nomination he has, because of acting, course he also sorry, won... Acting, sorry, yes, because he clearly he won for director, yeah, for Dancing with the Wolf. Yes. And producing properly, yes, too, indeed. I don't know. Oh, yeah, he got it all. The, the works. What a time for him. <laughs> he got the works. Okay, um, two nominees in this one as well. This is Dance with a Stranger. So Miranda Richardson. Mm-hmm. And that's, what is that Joan Plower, Enchanted April? Is that her nominee, nomination? That's not. Oh, shame. I, well, not shame because she didn't deserve it. Two. She has two acting nominations. Oh, Miranda, good for you. I couldn't tell, you're not Crying Game. Was she nominated for? I don't know. I don't know not what her nominations are either. for. Um, I feel like one is like two first names and... I can't yes. say, like, Molly and Mike or something. 
uh, but I don't know what it is. So that um, uh, you're referring to Tom and Viv, her other exactly, uh, which she was nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Uh, she was also nominated for Supporting for Damage. Yeah. Um. Sorry, what film we talk? Oh, and then um, there's someone. Else. Sorry, is there another person in Dance with the Stranger? Mm-hmm. God, and I just watched that film, and I can't think of who else is in it. Because Rupert Everett sadly wasn't nominated as he should have been for My Best Friend's Wedding. It must be another man in it, but I can't think of who is in that cast. It's going to be someone like Stephen Ray or someone, and I'm going to be feel so stupid because it will be so clear that they were in the film. I don't know. It's um, Bilbo Baggins himself, if that helps. Oh, of course it is, because he plays the really lovely... Um, Guy, now I can't think of his name, and you've just told me anyway, so I've lost that. I can't think of that that lovely. Is he a lovely actor? I don't know, but he seems to be nice when he's Bilbo and in Dance with a Stranger. I hope so. Yes, Ian Holm, who mm. was. Do you know what he was Oscar nominated for? No, a Chariots of Fire. Mm. Yeah, yes, Chariots. <laughs> it of was Fire. okay. Good. <laughs> Whew, I'm not a complete loser. <laughs> No, not at all. You're doing very, very well. Um, the next one, there's three Oscar-nominated um, performers in this alongside Leslie, and it is Misbehaviour. So, Keira Knightley for Pride and Prejudice. My girl, <laughs> Jesse Buckley, for... Um, um, oh, my God, Lost Daughter. My mind went blank. Um, and... I assume by if you're listening to this post, you know March next year or whenever February next year, we'll also should say um, women talking, um, and Greg Kinnear for as good as it gets. Yeah, fabulous. Um, you're also neglecting Kira's other Oscar nomination, but that's okay. One a piece. Oh my god! Of do. course, for into imitation game, imitation game. Yes. Yeah. Really, sure I really was. love her in that film. She's someone I'd she like is. to come back into films. Yeah, come back. Give us more. Give us the the A game. <laughs> and then I'm afraid when I look, I'm like, oh, she's still working, and I just ignore her movie. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my god, look at all these. Oh, she definitely is still working. That's for sure. Oh um, shit. Okay, well then I apologize. I need to. I need to come up to speed. <laughs> I think it's just sadly they've maybe not been the most exciting of her filmography in the past mm. few years. Uh, okay, mm. next one. Three here as well. This is Maleficent, the first one. So, another girl of mine, Amelda Staunton, um, for Vera Drake. And mm-hmm. then we have Angelina Jolie for Girl Interrupted, Changeling. I'm sure she's other yeah. nominations. No, that's it. That, it's but, those um, two. Oh, so uh, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, are we t- said the first one, did you say, or the third one? Or the second one? Say that again. Which, which Maleficent are we talking about? The first one. Oh. oh my god, like Jesus I um I can't think of anyone else that's in that movie. There I know like I can think of the all the people, but none of them are Oscar nominated. There must be some it's like Anthony Hopkins or someone like that as an old grandfather in it or something, but I couldn't tell you who it was. Okay, so this is a bit of a trick. It's the narrator. Do you know who the narrator is? Oh, is it Julie Andrews or Angela Lansbury or <laughs> someone like that? No, I wish it was, but it is uh, 
Uh, currently seen in the menu. Rafe? Rafe Fiennes? No, it is a female McTeer. actor. It's Janet McTeer. It's Janet McTeer. Okay, well, there you yeah. go. We got Albert Nobbs, which I'm obsessed with her, with her in that. And um, Tumbleweeds. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Tumbleweeds is a lovely film. And then finally, so this is not a film, so this is a bit tricky, but I reckon you'll get this nice and easy. So this is Mike Lee Films. And... There are okay. five nominees we're looking for, which I hope I've got it right that there are just... Like four Mike Lee films. There are five actors she's worked with in Mike Lee films, to my count, that have Oscar nominations. So, like, Jim Broadbent in Iris is included. Is that... Yeah. There we go, yes. So then Imelda again, of course, for Via yeah. Drake. yeah. Marion Jean-Baptiste for Secrets and Lies yeah. Brenda Brett Blethyn for Secrets and Lies and Little Voice so Timothy Spall hasn't been nominated crazily um, James Corden mercifully mercifully? don't know anyway thankfully has not been nominated for an Oscar yet um, oh of course it's Sally Hawkins in um Vera Drake, and she is nominated for Shape of Water and also for Blue Jasmine. You got it. There we are. Fabulous work. <coughs> you absolutely smashed that one. Gifts in abundance for you and kindness from all this festive season. Aww. Thank yeah. you, Michael. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, listeners. <laughs> yeah, everyone just be kind. Um... Okay, so now we're both. I'm going to grant you the ability to also have a birthday wish. And what would you love to see Leslie do next in our final, I guess, bit of the episode? So sort of inspired by her work in Let Him Go, but kind of also from Phantom Thread, the energy she possesses, the kind of charisma and danger. Um, I would love to see her playing a cult leader... And I'm going to say in a film directed by Jane Campion, I want a Jane Campion film about a cult where Leslie Mantle is the leader of the cult. Sounds hot. Sounds really great. <laughs> and I mean it's hot, hot as in like, not the Paris Hilton sort of like good, just mean like it sounds really hot. Like that sounds like that could be explosive. Oh, yes, it will be. Um, mine is kind of bringing it back to comedy and a, a sort of specific sort of comedy so I'm thinking of pairing her with Sharon Horgan who has just had Bad Sisters on Apple TV you know Motherland Catastrophe very great at kind of situational comedy drama sort of things bringing out these sort of broad characters in a really fun insightful touching way and Leslie Manville like I'm imagining something along the lines of Leslie is just retiring and trying to figure out how to spend her time now that, like, you know, she doesn't have work to do. And I just think there could be something really fun. Like, she, she like, overcompensates by, like, taking on too much. Or she, you know, tries to get engaged with, like, maybe her kids um, or, her, like, her child and their grandchildren's lives. And they like, no, get away. We, you do your own thing. She takes up hobbies. Um, and, like, something happens and clicks that brings her into this sort of 
um, I don't know, something that will push her full throttle into a proper storyline. But I just think that could be really fun and you could have loads of fun supporting characters in it. And yeah, don't know. I think Sharon Horgan and Leslie Manville would be a good match. Yeah, I think that's an amazing selection. Top of their game. Two ladies at the top of their game. Yeah, and maybe she like explores her sexuality or something, you know? And it's, I don't know, something really, really mm. fun. Not, not that she hasn't explored it before, but more like... Fiona Shaw rocks up, and if Fiona Shaw rocks up, you're going to be like, well, I want to sleep with you, so <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Something really fun, something great, exciting, brilliant, yeah. So I, I would love that, um, but to be honest, I'd be delighted. Any, anything that Leslie will do, I will watch. Like, I've even seen both Maleficent, even though I badmouthed them earlier. Um, I've seen all, nearly all of the films, so perhaps she'll get to work with Mike Lee again on stage or film. Who knows? Um, that would be wonderful. Although he was talking about not being able to get funding anymore. Do you remember? Did you read that? That was like a last there year. There was something. something to that effect, yeah. But I mm. think that's... Because Peter Lou was such true. an expensive flop. Oh, really? Are you, saying, are you saying Mike Lee's lying? I think so. <laughs> yeah, he's a liar. That man's a liar. Um, and on that note, what a nice way to like end the episode. Um, <laughs> claiming people are lying. Where can people find us? Um, if you look in the cracks in your city, we will be there. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, that sounds really pervy. I don't don't like that. Oh God! Uh, why must you take everything? So I thought you were also really... going to say the cracks in Michael's faces because he's old. Oh my God! That'd be much better. God, I get lost in there for centuries, though no one would ever find us there. Um, the real answer to your question is probably on social media. Um, if Twitter is still a thing, of course, who knows? Um, Instagram too, though, you can find us at don't know her underscore pod. You can also email us. Maybe things are just going to get more old fashioned again and you can get us at don't know her pod at gmail.com. Find us there. Yeah, and you can send your letters, um, your post to to us too at some point, I'm sure. And by owl. Isn't that what they do in Harry Potter? Love the idea of an owl yes. delivering post. Um, well, as always, Scott, thank you so much for joining me for this. And thank you, listeners. Um, it's been a real joy. And this will be the last episode of 2022. We've had so many highs and, and um, I was going to say highs and lows. <laughs> We've had no lows, oh just God. highs. And yeah, please, if you haven't listened to other episodes, please do um, do champion, whatever, like share um any episodes that you've enjoyed on your social media channels. That seems to be a big way people have been finding us. And yeah, thank you for listening. Whether you're a first-timer or a returning listener, um, it means the world to us. And we will be back next year, early next year in January, with more exciting people to talk about that we will be cherishing and celebrating. So until then, have a wonderful break over the Christmas period and we'll see you soon. Yes, happy birthday, Michael, and Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year to all of our lovely listeners. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.